You are listening to the Long Hollow Students Podcast. For more information and to stay updated, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at LH Students. I'll never forget, in 2001, my sophomore year in high school, I'll never forget, it was like, it was like any normal day. I, I get to school, I have plans on going to... Um, Meet up with my buddies, right? So every year, or every year, every week we would gather together with our buddies. You know, you always have your meeting places, right? And you go and you find your, your crew and you meet up with them. And this day was a little bit different. This day was a little bit weird. Uh, There's like this awkward silence. And not the silence as far as there was no one talking silence, but this, this silence between people uh, all around the school interacting with people, that kind of silence. And I remember it just felt like weird, and it was like this uncomfortable feeling. And, and, and I had noticed on the outside when I was pulling into school that there were more cop cars and more CROs in, in the school than normal. And I knew something was, was up, but I didn't know exactly what it was. And I'll never forget feeling this and not really seeing anybody interact with each other. And then we go to first block. First block is over, and then I'll never forget. Sophomore in high school, I'm walking out, and then I see... Uh, just a sight that would forever rock my, my world. And here's what I saw. Picture this. You walk out of school, walk out of class, walk out of the hallways, and you see two lines of people. And when I walked out, I saw my group of buddies, right? I see my, my football player, uh, teammates, my classmates, my, my buddies that I grew up uh, in diapers with. And I look out, and here's what I see. I see all my buddies, but there's two distinct lines they're toe-to-toe, their chests are poked out, their nose-to-nose, eye-to-eye. And here's what I see. I see a lot of my white buddies, and I see a lot of my black buddies. The white guys all had gray shirts on with Confederate flags on the front of them. And all my, buddy, uh, my black buddies had uh, all black shirts on with this saying that I can't say in here, but it had a saying that was distinct to them, and what happened was, I see in this moment, I see my best friends, I see my teammates, I see my classmates, but they're not interacting like we had normally interacted. See, what I saw was a divide. I saw a none of it matters. It didn't matter the fact that we had just won the state championship and we had celebrated together, and it was a, one of the most amazing times in our childhood or our teenage years, but what we saw were this racist divide of my best friends. And I'll forget it. Hundreds of people were gathered at this point. You could almost picture this in your mind. You could see the cops were like, oh no, we gotta get out there. And so teachers begin to come, coaches begin to come, the cops begin to come, and here's what happened. I'm telling you, they were, they were nose to nose. I'll never forget it. One of my black friends, one of my best friends in the world, he looks at one of my best friends to this day, he looks at him and he says, I don't appreciate this shirt that you're wearing. And then my, my buddy's response says, I don't appreciate you being black. And you know what went down after that. Complete brawl, complete chaos. And in that moment, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, imagine all this. Imagine the chaos. Imagine what's going on. The school begins to just implode, and it was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. And in my mind, in this moment, here's what's going through my head. I'm going, how did we get here? How? We grew up together. We had one of the most amazing things to ever happen in an athlete's life. You won the state championship only weeks ago. Now this is happening. And in a moment, they were willing to throw away everything. 
all to prove a point that one color meant more than the other. I've never seen anything like it. And in that moment, I realized that racism is real and that bullying is a real situation. And it's sadly simple in how we got to this point. And here's what it is. Our big idea tonight is this, is how you view people shapes how you treat people. So how you view people shapes how you treat people. People And as you know, this series, we're diving into some pretty heavy and some pretty serious, pretty serious topics. And so what I'm going to ask tonight is the same as last week, is if things are going to be said, things are going to be brought up. And then what I ask is just respect for everyone in the room and, and respect for every single person that may have been through this situation or through something similar. And so when I engage in some of these conversations, I'm going to ask you just to be respectful, uh, not knowing who's sitting beside you. But when I think about the story I just told you, and I think about where our world is, and I think about this, I think about what would our world actually look like? Think about this. What would our world actually look like if we were to live the way Jesus intended for us to live? It's not a mind-blowing thought. It's not a mind-blowing, oh my gosh, where did that come from thought. If you're a believer in the room, you understand. Like if we were to live the way Jesus intended for us to live, when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, right? Meaning, you don't treat people a certain way. You treat them the way you would want to be treated in return. But if we were to live this way, our world would look so different. However, our world often distinguishes people by their differences, right? And maybe you're in here right now and you're going, yeah, yeah, I've been, I've been a product of that because I look different or act different or, or whatever. Or maybe you're in here and you're going, yeah, I've done that to somebody. But we distinguish people by their differences and we define people as this. Right? These are terms we throw around, and I'm guilty of throwing around some of these terms as well. But here's the reality. We throw around terms like this, the jock versus the nerd, right? Seems harmless unless you're the jock or you're the nerd, and it's using a derogatory term. Like, there's often times I wish I was a nerd, because like, I'm not that smart, you know what I'm saying? But when we use them like that, it, it seems funny, right? I can, I can say that and kind of joke, but the point is this. It should never be joked about. Because to uh, somebody that is... Uh, uh, that is being the brunt of that comment is offended. But we say, so what? It doesn't matter. It didn't offend me. Or maybe what about this? We distinguish people by this color or, or they're that color, right? Or maybe we use terms like this, them or they. And the them or they is simply to, de de to determine or to distinguish somebody by their color. So we use, oh, oh those people or they or, or them and what happens is we identify somebody by their color or their culture. But Jesus said that we are to love all people the same. Seems simple. But yet we struggle with this. And unfortunately, many people say, so what? So what? Maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you've been in an environment where you try to voice some concern about it. And people are like, so what? It's not really that big of a deal. But my goal tonight is this. My goal for us tonight is for us to see how we view people, shapes how we treat People And for us, meaning you and I in this room, remember last week I built you guys up and I celebrate you because I believe you're going to be a product of change. You're going to be a product, you're going to be a generation that changes things instead of consistency of the same thing over and over again. You're going to become a generation that says, so what am I going to do about racism and bullying? I believe that with all my heart. And so last week, I, I said this a while ago, but I want to I be very careful and I want to apologize for anybody that's been a victim to racism or bullying. That should never happen to anyone, and no one should ever feel the need 
to make somebody else feel worse about themselves to build another person up. Whether that's bullying or that's racism. And so I just want to apologize if you've been a product of that. And, and my goal is for the church to, to be a place where you can come and feel comfort and to be accepted and to be uh, almost like a hospital where you can come and feel safe. Our house rule here is we are family. So regardless of what color you are, regardless of what uh, uh, society you are in, subdivision, whatever, you are welcome here. And I want you to know that. But as we dive into tonight's topic, as last week, we have to look at the facts. Right, so the so what attitude often comes because uh, we're like, yeah, 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 I hear about it, but I don't really know much about it. And so I want to help us with this because you may not understand or fully uh, uh, see the, the, the totality of how big this issue really is. And so our first point tonight is this, the truth about racism. That's what we're going to look at first. What's the truth about racism? Well, Americans, uh, uh, when it comes to racism in America alone, here's what, here's what America says. Studies will show that 64% of Americans will say that racism is still a major problem. 64% of America. It is, they recognize, it is still an issue. However, 30% would say, I don't, I, I, maybe it's an issue, but I don't think it's a major issue. All right? So there's a split, 64%, 30%. But if we pull back the layers a little bit more, we see, uh, what does this look like? So if we were to define, okay, what is racism, let's define it this way. Let's look at the percentage of people that feel treated wrongly or differently as they walk into, a, just to say, a convenience store or, or a restaurant or they walk in somewhere. And when, what is people's reaction to when that particular group of people walk in? 7% of white people would say uh, they feel wrongly uh, treated. 40%, which is astounding, 40% of uh, black people would feel that they are wrongly treated as they walk into a certain store or certain area. And then 26% of Hispanics would feel that they were treated wrongly. And when I, when I go, continue in this, I, I realize that there's way more ethnicities that we can break down. But statistically speaking, these are the, the predominant ones that people uh, refer to as you see the percentages of that it makes sense. As we dive in just a little bit deeper than that, what about discrimination in the workplace? Now, if you watch the news, this is a really big issue right now. Being feeling discriminated in their work environment based upon their particular race. And so check us out. 14% of white people say that they feel discriminated against. 48% of black people would say that they feel discriminated against, and 36% of Hispanics would say that they feel discriminated against in their workplace. Now, why is this important? Why am I giving you the statistics? Like I said, we have to understand that this really is an issue, that this really is. There really are people that feel affected by racism and or bullying, specifically racism right here. Now, I believe that there are layers to racism, and I, and I think there's so many different layers that we could talk about. But uh, tonight, I, I want to I speak just on a few as we dive in, and the layers to racism starts with this. As you pull back the first layer, I believe it starts with judging somebody before you fully get to know them. Judging somebody before you fully get to know them. Now, can we fully understand somebody before we actually have a conversation with them? Well, the answer is no, right? But here's what happens. And I'm going to use some terms tonight. This isn't intended. I'm not intended to be uh, offensive or anything like that. But using common terms uh, that you will be familiar with. So don't, don't be offended. Uh, and if you have a problem with anything that I say tonight, please come talk to me. Um, I would love to, to clear anything up that may have been taken out of context or, or that is uh, felt inappropriate or offensive. So I'm here. I'll, I'll be glad to talk about it. But think about this for a second. Can we truly say someone is using these words, a thug or uneducated by the way they walk or they dress? You don't answer that, but think about it. 
can we truly do that? Like, can we truly say, oh, yeah, 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 that, that person's a, a thug. They're probably uneducated by the way they walk or the way they, they dress. Or think about this. Should we immediately feel uncomfortable? Maybe, maybe this will hit a little bit more closer to home to some of us. Should we feel uncomfortable and or fearful because somebody walks in, maybe a man walks in, he has a, a turban on their head. We immediately begin to poke our neighbor and be like, Watch, you know, you know what I'm saying? You ever been in that? Or maybe because a person has dreads. Or maybe because somebody wears their pants below their, their waist. Or maybe because a, a man sits down and has a uh, Make America Great Again hat. And we admit, immediately we go, whoa, let's pause for a second. I'm going to watch this person. Is that really fair? No. But we do that. You see, there's layers to racism. And here's what I believe uh, the, the most important part or piece of this puzzle is this. It's because of ignorance. It's because of ignorance, and I believe that we have allowed ignorance to flood our minds and allowed this ignorance to influence our society. I think that's what it is. And Matt Chandler puts it this way. I think this is remarkable. I think this is a great statement, and it proves a lot of points. And here's what, here's what I mean by ignorance. Matt Chandler says this. I would, I would love for you to write this down. It'll be on the screen. He says, they don't know what they don't know, and they are a part of a system that encourages their not knowing. Sounds a little confusing. Let me say it again. They don't know what they don't know, and they are a part of a system that encourages their not knowing. What he means is this. Maybe you act and react toward a certain group of people because of the stereotypes in which you were taught growing up. So your family environment may talk towards a certain race or a certain demographic of people, uh, and so you've inherited that. You don't really know about that, that person. Are you all tracking with me? Does that make sense? So I can say this because I'm a white guy. You may, you know, the whole stereotype when you watch like the comedy stuff is the white man always talks like this and he's always sitting up straight and fixing his tie. That's a stereotype. Not every white person does that. I wear skinny jeans and a long tee. You know what I'm saying? So that's not true for everybody. So, but that's your stereotype and you think that every white man is rich and, and above the law because he's a white man, then that's a stereotype. That's not necessarily true. Does that happen on occasion? Absolutely but you're ignorant to the reality of who that person really is. And so this point is they don't know what they don't know and they are part of a system that encourages their not knowing. He goes a little bit deeper and he says this about the public school system. He says, growing up in school in the public system, primarily uh, when it comes to just the African-American race, for instance, he says this, we predominantly only hear about seven influential African-Americans, seven. So in American history, the public educational system breaks down the typical Martin Luther King, Harriet Tubman's, those type of people. And what he says is this. He says, if that's all that we know about the African Americans, then these African Americans become the anomaly and not the norm. And what do I mean by that? He means this. He means, oh, well, there, there's an exception. There's only an exception to the rule. And these seven are the exception to the rule. Martin Luther King is the exception to the black community. Everybody else, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of African-American people that have influenced this country for good aren't ever mentioned. And so think about growing up in an educational system where all you hear is about the seven, then all you do is you put them over here, you put them on a pedestal, then everybody else does nothing. That's American education. That's American history about black culture. But then let's dive in a little bit deeper to world history. World history, you study about Africa. And predominantly what we learn about Africa, at least is what I did in my, in my growing up, was this. Africa is an impoverished uh, area, right? It's a location where they're walking around uh, and they have little to no clothes. They're, they're thirsty, they're hungry. That is true. 
but we never really hear about how great the how great they are, how amazing the agricultural systems are, and how they are able to develop things and grow and enhance their society. Or we only hear about Egypt. We only hear about the cool things. We only hear about the pyramids. We only hear about one, por- uh, one portion of Africa. And so that's American history, and there's world history. But I would argue that ignorance is the key factor to racism. It's our ignorance. We don't know any better, so we act a certain way. So ignorance is a key factor to racism. And the lack of knowledge of a specific thing, what this does is it leads us to filling our heads with things that we have formulated ourselves, that we have come up with ideas and ideologies in ourselves without any logic or true moral reasoning. And what this often leads to is feeling as if you are superior due to your race and or your privilege. And we see this all the time. Racism is defined by this, as this. Racism is this prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against someone of a different race based upon the belief that one's own race is superior. Now, when you read that, I hope that that gives you like a uh feeling. I hope that that just makes you feel weird. Because let me say this, the definition of racism If that defines a person, I'm going to go ahead and say this. Listen to me. This is foolish. This is foolish and sinful. If you view someone by that definition, then you are foolish and you are sinful. But unfortunately, ignorance has led many to speak when they don't need to speak. Or worse, they don't speak when they need to stand up. Martin Luther King says this in regards to that about the church, and this, is, this will break your heart as a church member. He says this. He says, the problem with racism, segregation, and injustice in America is a church problem. He says it's a church problem. Here's what he means by that. Because countless amount of white pastors in the time of Martin Luther King and the time of segregation and all of these things Very few, there were some, so I can't say that all of them. There are very few white pastors that would stand in a pulpit, preach the goodness of Jesus to treat all people the way God intended them to be treated fairly and equally, and they would shy behind their convenience. They would shy behind the comforts of their own people and shame on them. What he's saying is when the church should have been speaking, they were silent. But when people felt like they needed to say something, they would say something in ignorance and it would affect it even more. And so with that being said, it leads me to my second point. What is God's truth about racism? What does God say about racism? Does he specifically come out and say racism, the word racism? No, but he does allude to it often. Like last week, I believe we need to know who we are and why we were, why we were created. I think that's important. Right, so if we go to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1, 27, and I know these messages are, are, are less exegetical and more topical, so I'm going to throw scripture at you, uh, but I really believe these are important and they support, so maybe write them down and take a picture when we put them on. We're not going to flip necessarily through. Genesis 1, 27, maybe you've heard this. It says, so God created man in his own what? Everybody say image. He created him in his what? In the image of God. He created them male and Female. So we see in the beginning, God created man. He didn't create uh, uh, white man, black man, all these different races and define them in such a way. He said, I created them in my own image. I created man, period. 
And all throughout Scripture, I love this, all throughout Scripture, as you dive into the Word of God, as you dive into the Word of God, you will see these words said all the time, all nations. All nations, meaning all people, all people. God's Word is flooded with the importance and, and intentionality of reaching all nations, listen to me, all nations, tribes, and tongues. Check this out, Revelation 7, verse 9, I love this. Gives you a visual image of what heaven may look like or will look like. Check this out. After this, I looked. So think about it. You're looking around. You're looking around, right? And there was this vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number. Meaning there's millions of people from all over. Picture this. And they're standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Do you see it? There's going to be a lot of people that get to heaven, and they're going to be like, oh, snap, I didn't realize that. Jesus is not blonde hair, blue eyes, and probably from California. Wait, Jesus isn't a black man? There's going to be a lot of people that look around and go, I didn't realize that you were going to be here. I didn't realize that you were going to be here. But Jesus is trying to tell us from the very beginning that God created everyone in his image, and we are all part of his kingdom. We are all part of his plan. Heaven's going to be filled with every race, and they're all going to be concerned with one central thing. What do you think it is? Very, very easy. Sunday school answer. Jesus. Nobody cares about the color to the left or to the right or in front of them because they're only concerned with one thing, and the one thing they're concerned about is going to be Jesus. However, I assume that there will be some that will be shocked because they missed what Jesus has been trying to tell them. Did you know that Jesus is actually a Middle Eastern man who looks nothing like you and I? Did you know this? Like, this is, this is the truth. This isn't like... Is he white? Is he black? Is he white? No, he's a Middle Eastern man that didn't speak English, and he didn't have an accent like a British man. I guarantee you that. Or a New Yorker who have no accents, period. They just talk normal. It's weird. But listen to what God's Word says. God's Word says this, Deuteronomy 10, verse 17. It says, For the Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great, mighty, and all-inspiring God, showing no partiality and taking no bribe. You see, what I, what I think is going to happen, going back to the ignorance, think about America's churches on Sunday. One man said this about America's church on Sunday. He said, it's the most segregated hour in America. Think about that. The most segregated hour in America is on church, in church services on a Sunday. What do you think he means by that? I know for me growing up, I, I grew up in a predominantly white church. I grew up in a you know, there were very few African-Americans that, that were a part of our church, not because they weren't welcome, just because they weren't there. But we had churches that were predominantly African-American in our community. We have uh, churches that were predominantly, predominantly Hispanic in our community. So picture yourselves growing up in this, and culture is teaching you that everybody looks the same. Every church looks the same. And what he's trying to say is, instead of it being the most segregated hour, what if our churches came together and it was the most diverse hour in America? So now you see how it's easy for a young white person to grow up thinking Jesus is blonde hair, blue eyes, because that's all he sees. 
He's never taught the truth of Scripture that he's actually a Middle Eastern man. Psalm 67 verse 4 says, Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy, for you judge the peoples with fairness. Everybody say fairness. And lead the nations on earth. Romans 2, 11. For there is no, say this with me, favoritism with God. Everybody say favoritism. There is no favoritism with God. Meaning God doesn't look at you and go, oh yeah, middle class white man, like you. He doesn't do that. No favoritism with God. Malachi 2.10. Don't all of us have one father? Didn't one God create us? Why then do we act treacherously against one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? See, we as Bible-believing men and women have to stand up and start showing the love of Christ to everyone equally. We've got to. You and I as believers, as Bible-believing Christians, have to start treating people equally. And so what Jesus says, John 17, 11, he says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me, so that they may be as one as we are one. So let me ask you a question tonight. Very heavy topic. Very serious topic. Let me ask you a question tonight. How do you view people differently than you? How do you view people that are different than you? Not a guilt trip. This is a a reality check for a lot of us. What stereotypes have you been taught that you didn't, that didn't line up with God's word? Knowing what you just know about what God says about every single person. That he doesn't treat anyone with, with fair, like there's no like particular person he likes more than another. How do you, how have your stereotypes affected you? Remembering how you view people shapes how you treat people. Think about that for a second. So in this moment, maybe you're sitting here and you're going, yeah, I remember this time where I, I judged that person or I treated that person unfairly or I talked about that person behind their back to other people. Or maybe you're the product of that. Maybe you're the one in the room, you're going, I know what it feels like to walk into a place and because of the skin color that I have, I'm instantly judged watched and looked over. Chef was telling a story in middle school where he went to his family, man, he packed his family up, having a great time going to um, uh, a, a particular uh, fair, if you will. And they're there, they're all excited. Um, and he said, all of a sudden, I started watching this, these two, uh, uh, two white guys were just following us around. They had this rebel flag, they're following us around and eventually we got very uncomfortable. So we got in our vehicles and they got in their big jacked up trucks I'm stereotyping myself right now. Uh, uh, But they get in their big jacked up truck, right? And here's what he said. He said they had this big rebel flag and they held it out the window and they looked at him with, why are you here? They didn't actually say that. But imagine being a black man with this family, having these men, these foolish men. Imagine what that feels like. Some of us will never know what that feels like. But some of us have made people feel that way. So how have you treated people that are different than you? Moving on, our last point, we'll wrap it up, is this. Our truth about racism. Our truth about racism. You're going, I thought this was a topic about bullying and racism. I'm getting to bullying here in a second. It all makes sense. It all tie in. Here's the deal. 
Did you know that there was a day of discrimination in Sumner County? Like, like we see racism happen. We see discrimination happen uh, because of the ignorance in certain things. But, but we all go to school together, right? Or we y'all go to school together, right? You're sitting in here right now. It's not segregated. There's different uh, ethnicities in this room. But there was a time, probably in your parents' age, where there was discrimination in Sumner County where schools are segregated by their race. You had white schools. You had colored schools. You had parents that told their children not to befriend a certain person because of their color or not to engage in conversation with someone because of a particular color or to stay away from that particular color because you don't know how they're going to treat you. And today we see discrimination because a person looks or acts differently. And sadly, we begin to see people and judge them before we ever have a conversation with them, like I said earlier. And we have to remember this. If you don't remember anything else I say tonight, I want you to remember this, that we have to remember that every person is created in the image of God and that he shows no favoritism. Therefore, we should act the same towards every person that we come in contact with. Because if we, as the church, lived in such a way, I firmly believe that racism and bullying would begin to fade. And when you look at others as people that are uniquely and wonderfully made, as we described last week, and they're made in the image of God, then you realize that they have a purpose, that each person has a purpose, and your purpose is to help them see that in the name of Jesus. So how awesome would it look, instead of pointing out people's colors or differences, that we would point out their beauty in the image of God, to point out their purpose that God put before them, rather than degrading someone because of his or her difference in appearance, their skin color, their wealth, their sexuality, their speech, etc., the list goes on, we would begin to build them up. Like I said last week, we would wrap our arms around them in truth and love, bring them into our world, and show them their purpose in life. That though we may differ than them in certain areas in life, we would show them that they are uniquely made in the image of God, and Jesus loves them. So much that he was willing to die for them. So the question to that is, do we support and accept everybody, or their beliefs, rather? You love everyone, but that doesn't mean you accept and support their beliefs. This is where truth and love comes in. Just because you love someone doesn't mean you stamp your approval on the way that they live. You can love someone openly and oppose their belief based upon what scripture says, not about your own opinions, but about what scripture says. But as we learned last week, Jesus would never, ever listen to him. He'd never be standing outside of an abortion clinic holding this sign. Jesus would never be at a gay pride march standing with a sign, saying some hateful things. He would never be there. You know what Jesus would be doing? Having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody that's struggling or somebody that's hurting or somebody that is confused or somebody that has questions. He'd bring them into his world. He would love them, and he would treat them fairly, and he would point them to himself and to what they were created for. He wouldn't degrade them or segregate them. He would love them. The question is, how are you doing with that? You know, the idea of bullying, I don't know if y'all heard in the news, there's a nine-year-old boy, breaks my heart, nine-year-old boy this week that took his life. Nine-year-old boy took his life, and here's why he took his life. At nine years old, he comes out and he tells his classmates that he's gay. Okay, so nine-year-old boy goes to school and he tells his friends that, 
that he's gay. I don't know exactly how it went down, but long story short, he says this. He comes out and he says these things. And then here's, here's the retaliation to his comment. You're different. You're not like us. You're wrong. And so people suggested that he kill himself. Nine years old. Nine years old, he was told to go kill himself based upon the way he felt about his sexuality. Go kill yourself. So guess what he did? Nine years old. Takes his own life. All because somebody looked at someone differently and began to bully them. He began to point out his differences in such a way that made him feel like he was not valuable or worth anything, especially not worth living. Nine years old took his life. And I pray to everything in me that there were not Christians or professing Christians that were a part of those conversations. You see, what would have happened if there was a believer in the room, even at nine years old, that there was a believer in the room that heard these conversations and they put their foot down and they said, no, 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 come here. They brought this nine-year-old boy in, and they began to love on him and to treat him like he was valuable. Even though they may not have agreed with the statement that he made, that doesn't matter in the moment. What matters is that person needs to feel loved and valued and pointed to Jesus. So I hope that there weren't Christians in that conversation. But then we think back to 2000. 12, and there's a, a young girl by the name of Amanda Todd. Amanda Todd, maybe you're familiar uh, with this story. Amanda Todd, due to cyberbullying. So there, you see there's two instances. There's one instance where there's a verbal, hey, face-to-face bullying situation going on. And the second one is about cyberbullying, which is a little mixture of both face-to-face and, but predominantly, um, primarily, rather, uh, cyberbullying. And here's what happened. She gets into a conversation with a young man and leads to uh, him asking and requesting a, a nude photo from her. And so in a moment of weakness, she sends a photo to the man. And in the instant, he has a photo that he can hold over her and blackmail her. So that's what he does. So he requests more. He requests more. And if you don't send me more photos, then what I'm going to do, I know who your pastor is. I know who your friends are. I know who your mom is. I know who your fam- where your family lives. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to blast these photos out so everybody can see them. So he does. Even makes up a fake Facebook and puts her nude photo as the profile pic. And so you can imagine that it floods the entire school. And so instead of people coming alongside her and saying, I'm so sorry this happened. I'm so sorry that somebody would do this to you. Hey, come here. Come with me. I'm going to love you. I'm going to point you to Jesus. I'm going to love you like Jesus would. They begin to bully her, begin to mock her, begin to pass the photos around, begin to uh, get online and, and say, you should just kill yourself because nobody likes you anyway. You should, you should know, you know, all these things were said to her. She makes a YouTube video addressing all the things that were said and just basically pleading for help. No friends, move schools, goes to a new school, hoping everything was, was over and ended, but then it comes back up again. Brand new school, nobody knows who, her, who she is, and then it's blasted out again. Same situation, different school, but same scenario, they begin to bully her again, cyberbullying, just blowing her phone up. So she makes a second YouTube video, and in this video are all these images that you just saw Put that photo back up. You can kind of just glance at all the things that she said. So she gets into cutting. She gets into all these things. 
a week after she posted this video, pleading for help, and you can see that one of them says, I wish somebody would help. I don't, I don't know if it's in that. Nobody helped. Plenty of people to bully and support the bullying, but nobody was willing to help. So a week after the video was posted, she took her own life. No one did anything about it because people had a so what attitude. And I can't help but think that there's probably conversations that are being had in, heaven forbid, but in this student ministry, in your schools, in your teams, and people are saying things like this to other people and you're supporting it or you're laughing about it. And listen to what, remember what Martin Luther King says this. He says this, he says, we will not remember the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. You need to write that down. You need to write that down. We will not remember the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Listen to me for a second. And I know I'm preaching, I'm preaching heavy and I'm preaching at you. I don't mean to preach at you unless this is for you. Then I do not apologize whatsoever. My hope is to spur you on to be a part of change. But let me, let me just be really, really vague. Not vague. Let me be straight to the point. We do not accept bullying. We do not accept racism. We do not expect anything to that nature in this student ministry. We have a zero tolerance to support anybody in here that looks at anybody differently or that supports any type of bullying. And if you are a product of that, don't feel ashamed to come speak to anybody. Kate is right here. I am right here. Andy is here. You can speak to any of the adults in the room who tirelessly work week after week after week to invest in you, to let you know that you are loved and you are cared for. You've got somebody, so you have, do not have the excuse that nobody would listen. But if you're in here, you are not welcomed here. We will not tolerate it. But we do want to help you because we do really want you here. And maybe there's something inside of you based upon ignorance growing up that you view people a certain way. We want to help you in that. But it will not be tolerated. Because where else can we go? Where else can we go if we can't go to the church? If we can't look across the aisles to our left and to our right, to the front and to the back of us and go, I can go to that person, then where else do we go? I pray more than anything that we become a generation of students, uh, we become a ministry or that we are a ministry. I'm not saying that we're not. I want to be careful with that. People can walk through the school and recognize that they saw one of you in a, in a church on a Wednesday night and go, I can talk to them. Or they can pull one of us aside anytime throughout any Wednesday night and say, I need your help. I need your help. Will you help me? And we would say, yes, what do you need? That we wouldn't be silent and we wouldn't let our ignorance fuel our hatred or our bullying or our racism. So Martin Luther King says, I will... We will not remember the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. I want to propose the same statement, but differently. People won't remember the, what the non-Christians said or did to help out, but they will remember the professing Christians that did not step up and help. I hope that weighs heavy on our hearts tonight. So, what are we going to do about it? 
we see that society has a so what attitude, but so what are we as a generation of change going to do about it? Because you're going to be a generation that changes things. We have to realize that not caring is not an option. If we want to love people like God has called us to, then not caring is not an option. We need to write that down. Not caring is not an option. So to end this with our walking points, here's our walking points. I want to challenge each of us to have an open and loving conversation about racism and bullying this week. Have an open conversation about racism and or bullying this week. What this means is this. I'll never forget Shane. Y'all remember Nick Person? Maybe y'all don't remember Nick Person. Nick was a, uh, um, a black guy that we had on staff, a really good friend of ours. Uh, Shane's obviously uh, not black. He's white. And they're having this conversation, a really good conversation. And, and Shane's going, will you help me understand when you say you walk into a convenience store or when you are pulled over, because Nick's married to a white woman. So when he is pulled over on regular occasions, pulled over, one cop will go to Nick's side, one cop will go to his wife's side, and secretly they're asking, are you okay? Are you okay? If you're not okay, just shake your head, give me a wink, give me some type of sign if you're not okay. Are you here for your own will? When the other cop is having a conversation with Nick and his wife looked at him and says, this is my husband. So Shane's going, help me understand these things. I want you to have an intentional conversation to help you understand the difference because I would never be able to sympathize or empathize, rather, with somebody of a different color who has felt racism or bullying. I can't. I don't know what it feels like, but I want to so I can be better at helping others. So have open and loving conversation about racism and or bullying. Secondly, do something about it. In this moment, if you are thinking or you know of a situation, you can stop it. If you know somebody that is threatening to take their own life, do not be a friend that is silent because I would rather have a friend that pointed me out than me be alive than know I had an arsenal of friends that turned their back because they didn't want to hurt my feelings. We can do something about it. We can be a generation of change. Remember, we will not remember the words of our enemies but the silence of our friends. 